It's April 12th, 1932 in New York City, and the Great Depression has destroyed the resolve of the people and the economy. The Harlem Renaissance is blossoming and showcasing the creativity of African Americans, and across the pond, Nazism is on the rise. And through all this, the circus remains one of the most popular forms of entertainment. For New Yorkers looking to escape their woes, many flock this evening to Madison Square Garden to see the greatest show in the world, the Ringling Brothers Circus. The audience is excited and craning their necks to see the usual acts of clowns, jugglers, and acrobats. But when the ringmaster enters the center stage and promises the next act to be exotic, rare, and death-defying, the audience holds its collective breath. Then the music starts to play. The rhythm, tribal, heavy on the drums, something that would later be described as, quote, Hindustani in style, and it echoes throughout the auditorium. It must have been unusual for New Yorkers accustomed to lively big bands to hear a riptide of drums and horns that threatens to pull them onto the arena floor. And at the climax, the curtain opens and a bejeweled elephant, graceful and terrified, enters the ring flocked by beautiful sari-clad women. Atop the elephant is Bombeo, the man from India, with a swarthy complexion and wearing ornate clothes. He proudly gazes at the thousands in front of him as he climbs down from the elephant. With all eyes on him, he takes a deep breath, steals himself, and jumps up and into a meteoric circus career that will solidify his place as one of the circus's greatest performers and take him all over the United States into the great theaters of Paris, London, and even Berlin, where he would allegedly come face to face with Hitler. You're listening to Sing the Unsung. We tell the stories of forgotten and overlooked South Asians. Hey, I'm Cecil Cherian, and I'm so excited that you're listening to this podcast. I was drawn to this story because Bombeo's life didn't fit neatly into my expectations of a South Asian. The more that I read and researched about him, the more I felt that his courage deserves to be celebrated. As a South Asian, I've struggled with juggling expectations set for me by my family and the culture, and Bombay's story has become this beacon of what it's possible to accomplish by breaking the mold and taking risks. Bombay's story has been hard to piece together, but I've relied on some amazing experts and archives to piece together his incredible life, which I think for the record has all the makings of a movie. There's a hero, insurmountable odds, romance, and adventure. So with all that being said, here's episode one of Sing the Unsung, The Jumping Devil of India. Part one, Roots. To appreciate Bombeo's journey, we need to start at his humble roots in the modern state of Kerala in India, where he was simply known as Kannan. If you look at a map of India starting at the bustling metropolitan of Mumbai and move your finger down along the coast by the Arabian Sea past Goa, you'll be in Kerala. Kerala comprises a coastline with winding lagoons, backwaters, foothills, and mountains that cover highlands, where to this day you can find wild elephants. Depending on where in Kerala you are, French, English, Portuguese, Arabic, and Syrian influences can be found in the food, architecture, and culture 
And speaking as a second-generation son of Carolites, I would describe its culture as this tightly wound mix of religion, codified tradition, with a deep appreciation of nature. You're actually listening to a folk song in Malayalam, the official language of Kerala. It was made for a famous movie, and it echoes the deeply traditional, religious, and almost superstitious beliefs that create the norms that have followed Keralites even as they emigrated to other parts of the world. While the Kerala of today is rapidly modernizing with large metropolitan areas that are built adjacent to ancient Hindu and Jewish temples, churches, and mosques, Kannan was born in 1910, before Kerala was even a state or India gained its independence, in a place called Talasheri, which is known as the epicenter of India's circus. The town has a huge, huge history of colonialism, which actually brought cake, cricket, and circus out of the town. So it's like this town was probably the best nourishing space for acrobats as well. It's useful to understand how the India of the 1900s shaped Kannan's life. So I reached out to Dr. Nisha PR. I'm a historian from Kerala, and I work now as a Fulbright Nehru Fellow at the South Asian Studies at Yale University. She also authored a very thorough history of the cultural and societal impacts of the Indian circus in her book, Jumbos and Jumping Devils. According to Dr. P.R., Thalasheri was the epicenter of the circus and many other Indian arts, including Kalaripayita, one of the world's oldest forms of martial arts, which, as a fun fact, was highlighted in the music video for the complete banger, Higher, by Just Blaze, which features the indelible Jay-Z. But I digress. One of the most famous teachers of these arts was a man named Kellari Kunikanan, who also happened to be Kanan's uncle. Pictures of him are deceptive. His stern face and clean-cut appearance in a mundan suit hide the fact that he's actually like Master Splinter or Mr. Miyagi. He was someone who was trained in many strands of physical culture. Physical cultures like... Uh, a master of multiple martial art disciplines operating at Olympic athlete level, having been inspired by the many different circuses that he saw in Thalasheri and around India, he created his own school where he already training boys and girls and people from different ethnicities and different Kalari roughly translates to training ground, so the circus kalari, or circus school, became this caste agnostic space. The caste system is a social hierarchy that divided society into different classes based on birth. Its impact could influence the direction of whole communities for generations. If you think of the caste system as a pyramid, the base is made up of the untouchables. These people were likely denied access to education, property, and could only take on specific undesirable jobs. Each subsequent layer would have more rights than its predecessor, with the most power, economic mobility, and opportunity residing in the top of the pyramid for the few in the upper echelon. Since the social stratification was so deeply ingrained into the culture, it became nearly impossible for someone to break out of their assigned caste. According to Dr. Nisha PR, Early 19th and 20th century was a, a very caste-ridden space. You know, there were several colorities like Nair colorities, 
These are examples of different types of castes. Himself, he was actually transforming a caste stringent space into a caste-free space because circus probably offered that uh, space being being a modern form that came through the European. Being that Kellery, an iconoclast of his time saw the circus as a space that was free from the impact of the caste system. He trained members of lower castes in acrobatics and gave them a chance to rise up in society. This might have been the impetus for people like Conan to join the circus, who, according to legend, at the age of seven, climbed a jackfruit tree and cried out when he realized he was too high up. After Kellery heard his cries, he coaxed Cunnan to jump down and into his arms, beginning Cunnan's life in the circus. Cunnan's future biopic, which I imagine will be created with all the style and flamboyance of a Baz Luhrmann film, would show Cunnan entering Kellery's school at the age of seven at around 1917 and start training. There'll be a series of dramatic training montages in which a young Conan is falling and getting up as he's put through all sorts of arduous exercises and doing that repeatedly. The goal is for Conan to condition his body and mind to build up that stamina and strength to exert himself in ways that'll seem supernatural to the audience. Then the screen fades to black. And the next scene opens up in the 1930s. Kellery's school has become even more renowned amongst the international circus community, and Conan is now 20 years old. His practice and discipline has transformed him into a skilled acrobat. Kellery, who developed a stellar reputation as a teacher, has created connections with circuses around the world. So it wasn't unusual for traveling circuses to come to Thalashiri to visit him. One of these troops was the Canestrellis from Italy. While the clip is from when the Canestrelli family would go on the Ed Sullivan Show, back in the 1930s, the great Italian circus family, led by Ottavio Canestrelli, was well-known and traveled throughout the world. They came to Thalasheri after completing tours in Egypt and Malaysia, in his posthumously published memoir, Octavia recalls meeting Conan and seeing. A frail yet resilient young man, Conan was an outstanding tumbler and proficient in the extremely difficult round-off double-back somersault. However, Conan's foremost talent resided upon the bounding rope. And it was the bounding rope that he would become the most well-known for. We'll dive a little deeper into what exactly the bounding rope was later on. Ottavio recognized the marketability of Cunnan's act, and when he heard that Cunnan wanted to travel, he allowed Cunnan to join his family. So Cunnan then set sail to Italy with the Canestrellis and traveled around Europe performing with them, refining his act. A year later, they boarded the SS Conti Grande in Genoa. The vast empty ocean that stretched over the weeks-long journey must have given his idle mind time to think about the familiar faces and sounds he yearned for. But despite this, Gunnan must have been excited by all that awaited him over the horizon, and that feeling only amplified when he saw her breaking through the fog, holding a torch to the sky, as Gunnan, poor, tired, and imbued with a nervous excitement, looked up at the Statue of Liberty and New York City.
Part 2. This is America. On April 12, 1932, Conan and the Canestrelli family arrived in New York City. The Daily News marked the arrival of the circus troupe with a photo. Conan is one of the shortest people in the group and is easily identifiable by his rich, swarthy complexion. In two days, he'll perform at Madison Square Garden after honing his act for the past year throughout Europe. As part of a promotional picture taken by the Daily News, he and the Canestrelli family are posing with Satana, a 25-foot-long snake which will be used to introduce his act. While all the other members are holding onto the more meatier parts of the snake, Conan barely touches its tail. His distrust for the snake was prudent. During his performance, Satana attacked Octavio and nearly killed him in front of the audience. Conan's performance was overshadowed by the snake attack, but his act still left an indelible mark on New York City. When Bombeo would perform, how was his performance received by people? Oh, he, he, had a, he had a big success. I mean, he was a very successful performer. He was spectacular, you know, a, a guy uh, working with a great energy, doing this incredible thing on this rope quite high above the ground. It was a spectacular act. This is Dominique Jando, a veteran of the circus and founder of Circopedia. Think of it as a Wikipedia for all things circus. I spoke with him to better understand Conan's act on the bounding rope, also referred to as rope dancing, and to learn why his performances were so well received. When Bombeo was performing, how high up was the rope? It was quite oh, quite high, uh, especially by today's standards. They don't work that high. I would say it was something 350 and 4 meters. The rope was 9 to 12 feet high in the air and anchored to the ground with bungees. The rope also had two frames with steps attached to either side of it, which Cunnan could use to get onto a platform. And from there, he could jump onto the rope and begin his act. He climbed to the top of one frame to the platform, and from there he went on the rope. What sound would the rope make when someone jumped on it? When you jump, you hear all the bungee and all the metallic thing that uh, attached them to the anchor and to the rope. So it does a kind of sound. It's quite muffled because you have uh, the music on top of that. So picture this. The stage is set. The audience hushed, and Conan steps onto the platform at one end of the taut rope. He pauses for a moment, testing the rope with his foot like a swimmer dipping their toes into water. At first, it seems almost too easy. Conan bounces along the rope and beguiles the audience into thinking that they too can do this without breaking their necks. But as the music picks up, so does his intensity. He leaps higher and higher into the air, landing with the precision of a cat, and then bouncing back up again. With each flip, the spotlight tricks the audience. It looks like Conan's streaming hair is a halo surrounding his head. And then comes the piece de resistance of his performance. After a series of heart-stopping leaps, Conan tucks his legs into his chest and launches himself into a double somersault. The laws of physics that bind all other humans have become irrelevant to Conan, and the crowd holds its breath, transfixed and terrified as he twists and turns in mid-air. And then he triumphantly lands, a thunderous applause from a spellbound audience shakes the circus.
Bombeo's success as an acrobat and entertainer can be attributed to two factors. First, he was good. He was a good acrobat. His act was very well built and very well presented. He was also Indian, so it has a touch of exoticism, which uh, cannot be ignored there because it's, it's also part of the game. You know his name, for instance, Kaman Bombeo, which doesn't mean anything for uh, Indian people, but yeah. for uh, <laughs> American <laughs> white guy, it has, says Bombay, it said exotism. So, Kanan's act was a novelty that audiences never saw before, but Kanan himself was also novel to the average American who likely never saw an Indian before until they saw his act. It's hard to imagine this today, since we live in a world where there is practically no border. If you want to visit India, you just open your television and you stream uh, some show about visiting India. Uh, at the time, it, you didn't do that. If you wanted to visit India, uh, either you were British or you had to travel and go there. So uh, Indian people were not just uh, people you saw all the time. So it was always interesting to see something coming from India, which is so uh, incredible. Dominique but takes the viewpoint that this exoticism was a product of the time and that it allowed Conan to succeed. Dr. Nisha Piar would say that this is an example of how people like Conan were taken advantage of. Conan often was exhibited along with exoticized elephants and exotic, yes. um, with the idea of Orientalism that was going on. So orientalizing his brown body, his Indian body as exotic was something that was happening in America or uh, Europe, just like the Native Americans or like Africans, uh, African acrobats that joined the Wild West shows. And, Ultimately um, though, whether it was his novelty or the Orientalism factor, Kanan's act became a hit. Following his performance in New York City, the next two years, from 1932 to 1934, took Kanan up, down, and across America. Newspapers from all the cities he performed in eagerly wrote about his feats, and crowds clambered to see him. In Chicago, 50,000 people flanked the streets for a parade to welcome the circus, in which Bombeo was a key feature. And while all of his performances led to his rise in popularity as a premier circus entertainer, in between the whirlwind traveling and center stage acts, Kanan found himself falling in love.